indeed good to see each of you here this morning. And as we are um, continuing in worship, I want to remind you of a couple of things you heard us describe beyond the building this morning, and that is coming up in a few weeks. Also, we have VBS happening, not this week, but next week. And for the students, that looks like Extreme Impact, which is a local mission week where we go and work around the community and then do fun things in the afternoon so that they come back the next day. And then for adults and children, that looks like VBS here on our church campus. So if you have not had a chance to look and see what's happening for VBS, you can look in your bulletin. There's lots of information there, especially adults. There's going to be a road trip, I hear, in the future for adults, and you'll be traveling to various places uh, during the week. So that sounds exciting and would be something interesting to do if you do not have plans for that week. Um, you know, I want to just start out and say that I completely acknowledge that on Father's Day, there's a lot of things happening in this room that we cannot see. And if you are a father and have had a great earthly father, this may be a really celebratory time. Um, if your father isn't with you anymore, or you've had negative experiences in your family with your father, or if anything is different about your life than the typical Hallmark card, this can be a difficult day, and we want to just acknowledge that. You may be holding thoughts or memories that are hard to deal with. Whatever you bring into this space is okay, and we're glad you're here. I'm really glad to see you this morning. We are continuing in our series that Pastor Greg started last week on Galatians. Specifically, we are looking at what exactly is in our gospel. What does Galatians say about the good news? So last week, Pastor Greg started and he talked about Paul's journey. Paul's journey himself. Paul starts out this letter to the Galatians and tells them, reminds them who he is and where he came from. Paul talked about his story of once persecuting Christians, then realizing and having this experience with God that completely changed him. Paul was a totally different person after his experience with God, and that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that it can change people's lives. So today we're going to look at the very first part of Galatians 2. Now in all of Galatians, Paul is really expressive in his concern for what's happening with this church. He does not mince his words. He lets them know that he is not happy with them right now because they are falling from some of their beliefs. Paul had started this church on his first missionary journey. He went back there two other times. He taught them and led them and trained them, and they were growing and learning together. However, there were some in the church who had come in to tell the Galatians that Paul was really kind of leading them astray. He's not giving you the whole truth. You know, he's not really. He wasn't a disciple. He didn't know Jesus personally. You've got to do some other things to become a Christian, these people said. They were false teachers saying that the people in Galatia had to become Jews. They had to believe and observe all the Jewish laws, all the customs before they could be Christians. These false teachers were called Judaizers, and they were just wreaking havoc in that church. So open up to Galatians 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today. And as you turn there, I'm going to give a little bit of background on kind of where we pick up the story. We sort of pick up in Galatians 2 in the middle of Paul's stream of thought. 
So Paul had just told the Galatians his story. He had just told them of him having an incredible, mystical experience on the road to Damascus. After Paul had that experience, he actually stayed in Damascus for a little while with the disciples who were there. Paul knew that God was instructing him to go and teach the Gentile people. But he stayed with the disciples for just a little bit. And this is all stuff you can read in Acts 9, which is a fascinating story to read alongside with Galatians when Paul's writing things and they're happening. So Paul began to go and preach after leaving Damascus to the Gentile people. He didn't waste any time. He went to Arabia, I think, first, and then he went back to Damascus for a little bit. And then after three years of preaching to the Gentiles, he went to Jerusalem to meet with the other disciples and stay with them for a while, particularly Peter. And he stayed in Peter's house for 15 days, which I think would have been a fascinating experience to just be a fly on the wall when Peter and Paul are meeting each other and talking with each other about Jesus. So after that, he goes back to places like Syria and continues to preach to the Gentile people. Then after 14 years, he goes back to Jerusalem. And that's this part of the story that we pick up with in Galatians 2 that Paul is, um, is talking about. Why they went back? Why did they go back to Jerusalem? So I'm going to pick up in Galatians, verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. 14 years later, I returned to Jerusalem this time with Barnabas and Titus, my co-workers. Now let's talk, Paul's, we'll take a little time out. Let's talk about Paul and Titus for a few minutes because why is Paul bringing them and who are these people? Barnabas had been with Paul for a while already at this point. He was uh, accompanying him on his journeys. In fact, Barnabas and Paul got together right after Paul had his conversion on the road to Damascus. Because after he had that conversion and he went to hang out with the disciples in Damascus, the other Jews who were around had heard Paul, the man, or Saul then, the man who is killing all these people who like and love Jesus, the disciples have him in their house. And they were not happy. The rest of the Jews around in Damascus were not happy and they were trying to kill Paul. And so you can read about this in Acts 9. It's like a soap opera. Acts, Acts is, the, is just the soap opera of the, how the early church started. Um, so the, the disciples were getting ready to put Paul in a basket over the wall because too many people wanted to kill him, and they just were like, you know what? <laughs> we're just going to let him go do his own thing. And Barnabas takes Paul by the hand and walks up to the disciples and says, hey, I know him. I've seen him teaching. I've seen him preaching. This guy is the real deal. And y'all need to stop trying to get rid of him, and he needs to be with you. And then Paul actually traveled around in Damascus for a little bit at the very, very early on time with the disciples. All because Barnabas vouched for him. Barnabas stood beside him. Barnabas took up for him. Even though he was off-the-wall kind of preacher, Barnabas took up for Paul. So Barnabas was a co-worker. Disciples trusted him and knew him. And then there's Titus, who was a Gentile who had become a Christian. He had heard Paul's message when Paul was teaching, his message about Jesus, and he believed it and then joined in Paul on his journey. So Titus was like an example. Hey, here's a Gentile person who is not a Jew, but they love Jesus and they believe in Jesus just like you do. And so 
some of the leaders who had been telling Titus he had to become a Jew first, he had to be circumcised, and Paul knew that was not the heart of the gospel. So these three people are making a trip to Jerusalem. Now, let's find out why they're going. Starting in verse 2. God had given me a clear revelation to go and confer with the other disciples concerning the message of grace I was preaching to the non-Jewish people. I spoke privately with those who were viewed as senior leaders of the church. I wanted to make certain that my labor and ministry for the Messiah had not been based on a false understanding of the gospel. They even accepted Titus without demanding that he follow strict Jewish customs before they would receive him as a brother, since he was Syrian and not a Jew. I met with them privately and confidentially because false brothers had been secretly smuggled into the church meetings. They were sent to spy on the wonderful liberty and freedom that we have in Jesus, the Anointed One. Their agenda was to bring us back into the legalistic bondage of religion. But you must know that we did not submit to their religious shackles, not even for a moment, so that we may keep the gospel of grace unadulterated for you. Even the most honored and esteemed among the brothers were not able to add anything to my message. Who they are before men makes no difference to me, for God is not impressed by the reputations of men. So they concluded that I was entrusted with taking the gospel to the non-Jewish people, just as Peter was entrusted with taking it to the Jews. For the same God who appointed Peter to be an apostle to the Jews also anointed me as an apostle to those who are not Jewish. When they all recognized this grace operating in my ministry, James, Peter, and John, the esteemed followers of Jesus, extended to me the warmth of Christian fellowship, the right hand of Christian fellowship, and honored my calling to minister to the non-Jewish people. They simply requested one thing of me, that I would remember the poor and needy, which was a burden I was already mindful of. It's a big meeting that we have record of here. And Paul says here that he was given a clear revelation from God that he needed to go to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles. A dream, a vision, we aren't really told what that revelation is. We are just told that Paul was very certain that this message was from God that he go to Jerusalem. The false teachers in Galatia were telling people something different than Paul was. They were saying that people had to become Jews in ritual, in code, before they could become Christians. Before they could follow Jesus, they had to first become a Jew. And the Galatians were getting confused. <laughs> they were being led astray by some of these false teachers. So Paul goes to Jerusalem to have literally a come-to-Jesus meeting with the apostles. Make sure everybody's on the same page when we're talking about what the gospel actually says. Make sure everyone is on the same page regarding the message of Jesus. But he does it privately, we're told in verse 4. He doesn't really want to cause trouble. He needs to get this straightened out because this is what he's basing his entire life on, this message of Jesus. So he needed to make sure everyone is saying the same thing, what he knows is true about Christ. So the rest of this passage is Paul telling the Galatians, hey, the end message of that road trip was this. 
I'm telling you the same thing that the disciples in, in Jerusalem are teaching about Jesus. That Jesus died, that he rose again to give new life to everyone, and that they did not have to become Jews first in order to believe that. So Paul is saying, hey, these people are coming into church telling you something different, and they are wrong. Paul calls them spies in one place. He calls them false brothers. Paul said, these people are trying to put laws and regulations on you, trying to chain you back into exactly what Jesus died to free you from. So they were essentially in a real-life case study of what it looked like to actually believe and live out the truth that Jesus had come and fulfilled all of the law of the Old Testament, that Jesus had ended the old covenant, and that because of that, they were not bound by law anymore. See, the old covenant that Jews were very used to and, and, and recognized said you have to follow the laws. It was initiated in Genesis 12 with Abraham when God said, you will be my people and I'll be your God. And one of the things that lets people know that you are my people is that you'll be circumcised and that you follow all of these laws. 619 of them to be exact. So this was a big deal. Paul and the disciples in teaching Jesus' message were telling people, this is not the way you have to live your life anymore. You're not bound by law. Jesus fulfilled all of that. And you can live freely in love and response to Jesus. Because the law said you have to do this and you have to do that. And the message of Jesus changed all of that. Jesus didn't say, okay, these laws don't matter. He said, I did these. I did it. I finished this. We do not have to do this anymore. I fulfilled those. And I did it for every person on the earth. And that means you don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. You are free. But when you've been chained down for so long, it's sometimes hard to live free. When you've been living by chains and rules for so long, it's sometimes hard to let that go. We resist that, and we, we want to fall back into what we know. Paul knew, though, that if they didn't nip this right now, they didn't nip this false teaching, if they didn't end this, they didn't meet and make sure everyone is preaching the same thing about Jesus, that his life and death and resurrection sets people free. If they allowed the false teachers to keep telling people that they had to do more things before they could believe and, be, and follow Jesus, if they didn't stop that, they would be undoing what Jesus died to do. They would be undoing Jesus' message. Paul was saying, you can't say for some people it's Jesus, and for other people it's Jesus plus this other stuff. Paul was very clear about his message. And in verse 6, we're told none of the disciples could argue with him because that's the same message they were preaching about Jesus as well. Even the most honored, which were Peter, James, and John, they said, yes, this is exactly what Jesus has taught us and what we're teaching the Jews here. So they decided at this message, at this meeting, that Peter would be the one to officially head up taking the message to the Jews. 
He would be the, officially the one who's sort of in charge of taking this message to the Jewish community. And Paul would be in charge of taking it to the Gentiles, basically everybody else. So that meeting ended with Peter, James, and John honoring Paul. Verse 9 says they gave the right hand of Christian fellowship, which was like code for we support you, we stand in solidarity with you, we have your back, we're with you. Peter, James, and John said, we, we believe you, we are with you. Just wanted to make sure that Paul kept in mind the pores in Jerusalem, which Paul was already thinking about. So this is a great story, a, gr a great story. But what does it really mean for us? You know, I had a, had a professor in divinity school who would always end his classes with the question, so what? So we've learned all this great stuff, now so what? Because if we can't take it and learn from the wisdom, then we really aren't learning anything. So, so what to us? What can we learn from this? There are a few things I think that we really need to take into consideration and take away from this passage that are crucial for us as Christ followers. And the first is this. It is the message of Jesus that unites us as followers of Christ. It is the message of Jesus that unites us as followers of Christ. And we need to think about what our message of Jesus really is. What do our words and our lives say about Jesus? Because the life of Jesus and the message of Jesus is very clear and very simple. Jesus said, I came to give life, abundant and full life to everyone. Not to just one certain group of people, but to everyone. And that we can try all we want to do good things to earn that. People have tried from the beginning of time. But there's nothing that we can do to earn this. It is a free gift from God. And there's nothing that we can do to be worthy of this. Because Jesus says, I give you this life because of who I am. Not because of who you are or what you do. That's our message. That's our message of Jesus. That God loved the whole world like you heard here this morning. That he sent his son and whoever believes in him will have life forever and abundantly. John 3.16, probably one of the most popular passages in the Bible. And as popular as that verse is, <clears throat> no one really knows John 3.17, which comes right after it, that says Jesus didn't come to condemn and judge the world. He came, to, he came to save it. He came to rescue us from ourselves and to offer new life. This is our message that God shows no partiality when it comes to grace. There's no one outside the realms of God's grace and God's love. No one. Paul in his message and in his journey to the Gentiles was really showing with his life what the gospel really means. This is where Paul says with his life, that Jesus came for all, and all means all people. We need to make sure that we are preaching the same message with our lives. That our message of Jesus <clears throat> is Jesus only, not Jesus plus some other stuff that we add in just to make ourselves feel comfortable. Because it's our message of Jesus that unites us. And the other thing <clears throat> is this. 
the message of Jesus that unites us, but it is our diversity that moves us forward, moves us closer and closer to the kingdom of God. It's our message of Jesus that unites us, but it is us living out that message in diverse ways that brings us closer to the kingdom of God. Our message is Jesus, and that's a message for everyone. We're all good with that. Sometimes what trips us up is that the application of that message, of living that out, will look as different as the number of people here in this room. It will look as different as we each are. And sometimes we as the church can put regulations and limitations and boundaries on what it means to follow Jesus, what that should look like, that Jesus himself never put there. The Gentiles were not forced to follow the requirements of Jewish law. That was what this whole meeting was about. It wasn't their culture. And just because it wasn't required for the Gentiles to follow that law really didn't make it wrong for the Jews to continue to follow it if they wanted to. But they were free and they didn't have to. In Christ, they were free from the law, which meant they were also choose to free to, they were free to choose to abide by those laws if they still wanted to. That was their culture. In the same way, the Jews weren't forced to live in ways, ways that were common to the Gentile people in their cultures. It's the message of Jesus is what united all of them, just like us. And they could live that out, live out that message of Jesus in their own culture and in their own context. Paul was sure, completely sure of the message of Jesus. He was sure that the gospel meant Jesus only and not Jesus plus some other Jewish rules. He held tightly to the truth that Jesus' message was the same for all people, that Gentiles did not have to change their cultural ways before they accepted Christ's message. And here's something about us humans, though. We see it in this passage, and I think we see it in ourselves. We tend to resist the impartiality of God. It doesn't make sense to us. We say God's love is for everyone, but what we really mean is God's love for, is for everyone, and by everyone, I mean those who look like us, don't challenge us, think like us, don't offend us, and will work to fit into this little box that we've created of what it looks like to be a Christian. We say God's love is for everyone, but we have problems when in that everyone is a person who thinks or looks or lives so differently than I do. We say God's love is for everyone, but we live sometimes like there are other things that we have to do before you're fully included in God's family. We make mental lists when it comes to following Christ. If you say you follow Jesus, then you have to do this and not that. You have to be this way, not that way. You can go here, but not there. You can have this friend, but not that one. You can say this, but not that. Because a list of requirements, let's all admit it, it's easy to check off. It's easy to be in control of a list. I can tell if I'm doing a good job being a Christian if all I have to do is check off this list of do's and don'ts. A list of requirements means I get to take the unbounded, impartial, uncontainable love of God and put it under my thumb. A list of requirements is what I'm used to. We work and we get paid. 
We do something bad and we get punished. We succeed and we get rewarded. We fail and we get corrected. A list is safe because I know by that list who's in and what kicks people out. It's safe because if I follow my list, then I can cling to my own abilities to do this Christian thing. And I don't have to trust the Spirit of God. I think it's because if we're really, really gut honest with ourselves, we have a hard time trusting this message of Jesus because it sounds too good to be true. It doesn't make sense to us. And we live like we have a a scarcity view of the gospel. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we live like we think God's grace is going to run out. So maybe we should just Hold it for the people who prove they're really worth it. Don't you see we're all worth it? We're all worth it. That's the whole point. And God giving grace and acceptance freely and with no partiality doesn't mean there's any less of it for the rest of us. Folks, it is crucial that we make this connection to us. It is important that we make this connection, that it's the message of Jesus that we have to hold tightly. We cannot negotiate it. We have to be absolutely sure and absolutely hold on to that. But in the living out of that message, there will be differences. There will be diversity. It will look different. This is not a new concept with Paul and the Galatians. We just heard snippets of a story, another story in Acts, I'm telling you, Acts isn't great, um, Peter having his vision of the sheet coming down and all of the animals there, some of you remember that story, and Peter hears God tell him, the sheet is full of all these animals that are unclean, and Peter sees this vision and hears God say, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. I imagine that would be pretty awkward for Peter to see. He's being told in a vision that this is not the way he's been thinking. Did Peter go eat pork regularly after that? I don't know. Maybe not. But he had the message that what things God called clean don't call unclean. That led him to be open to going and seeing Cornelius, to sharing Jesus' message with Gentile people, to having them believe. It's scary to live out Jesus' message in different ways. It's okay that it's scary. It's scary at times because it's unknown, and unknown is just fearful. And sometimes it's messy, too. Even in Paul's life, we're not talking about this passage, but here Paul fought hard to make sure Titus did not fall to other people saying he needed to be circumcised. At some point other in Acts, Paul encourages Timothy to be circumcised. So it's the same point that Paul was making, but he ends up on two different positions in the Bible. It's going to be messy. Following Jesus' message is going to look different in different places, and that is okay. Sometimes the application of the message doesn't follow the rules because it's for people in a different context. 
But it is the living out that message, folks. The living out that message in different ways and with different people, being messy when it's messy sometimes and being scary when it's scary and being different when it's different. It's in doing that that we are brought together as God's kingdom. Because living out our messages in different ways doesn't change the message. It doesn't change the message of Jesus. Our differences, though, enable us to speak to the hearts of different people. We learn from people who are not like us, and we grow to look more like Christ as a body. It's in us living out our, diverse, our diversity that God brings everyone in. The circles are made wider. No one's left outside the city gates. Our protective walls of lists and rules and requirements come crashing down when we all are brought in. In living out our diversity means that others see clearly that God is for them. Not just for one kind of people or one race of people or one personality or one label or anything we come up with, but that God calls all people to himself through Jesus. So what does that mean for us to live out in our diverse ways the message of Jesus? We all send messages about Jesus with our lives, whether we plan to or not. We can say what we want to say, but our lives speak volumes by the way that we love others, speak to others, trust others, treat others. Does our life say the good news that we live is Jesus? Or does our life say the good news we live is Jesus plus some other stuff? What does it mean in our community? in the Oakmont Church family, to live out our diversity. There are ways we already do this. What are those? How do we already do this? And how do we need to do this in different ways? Where have we created mental lists that say who really looks like they love Jesus and who doesn't? Where have we created rules that say some people can't live out the way they love Jesus because they're different? God shows no partiality in his message that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected for everyone. God shows no partiality in the message of who Jesus is for. So why do we? Why do we?